Welcome to the TCW Investment Perspectives Podcast. I'm Anisha Goodley, Head of the Portfolio Specialist Team for TCW's Emerging Markets Group in Los Angeles. I'm here with Brett Rowley, Managing Director and Middle East Africa Sovereign Analyst for the TCW Emerging Markets Group. Brett is a highly experienced expert on the region with over 25 years of experience in EM credit. Brett just came back from the IMF meetings in Marrakesh and is here today to discuss his main findings and key takeaways. Brett, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Always a pleasure, Anisha. So we've talked about the IMF meetings in the past, so I would be curious to hear what the tone was like this time around. So just for the audience, last October when you went, it was understandingly the mood was a little bit dour, right, given given what yep, you'd seen yep. in emerging markets fixed income last year and fixed income overall. When you went in April... I recall that it was just after really the SVB crisis, and so there were certainly concerns about right. what that would, how that would end up. So, what was it like now? You have to put it into context of the last several meetings. I had really low expectations going into this. I, I expected to be depressed. Sound and like a fixed income <laughs> investor. <laughs> I guess that's why I'm good at what I do. You know, <laughs> no. I, so, so I, I had really expected to go in for a really long, depressing week of meetings. And and it didn't help, you know, obviously that we had the conflict in the Middle East. You know, literally the day before I boarded the plane is when, you know, when the strikes in Israel happened. And then so as I landed, you know, you're just seeing all the news coverage of the aftermath of the attacks and, and the counterattacks. And then you you hear the stories from the families and it's it's just heart wrenching. So I, you know, going in as these meetings were started, that really set a, a subdued tone for the meetings, but I was pleasantly surprised that it, you know, we weren't looking into the abyss like it felt like we were in in 2022. There was a general mood of, okay, we're not going to panic. We've kind of seen all of this before, and maybe we're not ready to put risk back on, but. We can we can wait and we can we can be calm and we can uh, see what's around the corner and hopefully we're getting closer to the end of of the volatility. And was part of that related to perhaps U.S. rates backing up so significantly? Exactly. So so how much higher could it actually go? Every, everyone was talking about our Treasury is going to hit five percent, and we've seen that happen <laughs> this right? week. But again, it was you know nobody was in panic mode like they were last year. And so that was actually comforting to see that people thought maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel, despite the fact that we have these geopolitical issues going on, despite the fact that rates are going to be higher for longer, and inflation is probably going to be sticky at high levels. There was a general sense of once the dust settles, then we can look at where to put risk back on. That's in line with what we're hearing here as well. So once we get some clarity on the Fed, then we can think about adding some risk to EM. I also do want to give a moment to what you said about the the region overall and our hearts and prayers are going out to everyone there. Absolutely. It's it's, it's just gut-wrenching to see the the devastation, the loss. Um it's it's hard to imagine everything that that the people are going through there despite the fact that we see the barrage of of footage. But like you said, you know, our our hearts and prayers go out to all the innocent victims of this violence and we we just continue to hope and, and pray for peace. Thank you, Brett. Last time you were here, we talked a little bit about the common framework. 
So it would be great to get an update on what you heard this time around. You know, as we know, there was a big push for the common framework initially. There were some bumps along the way. Where are we now and what do you expect for some of these countries that would potentially implement that? Yeah, I, I would say the, the change for the common framework, particularly the perception amongst investors, has always been that it was flawed. The concept itself, uh, I think, was good and, and they had good intentions. But trying to lump all debt relief and, and all creditors into one basket and saying this is a one-size-fits-all program for everyone was just a big mistake. And it was short-sighted. And, and so there was a lot of, of pushback initially where official creditors were saying private creditors need to come to the table and, and give more debt mm-hmm. relief. And we were saying, but we have a fiduciary responsibility to our right. clients. Right. And so we can't automatically make those decisions for them. And so there's, it really has you know, had the unintended effect of delaying all these restructurings. So I think back in April, we finally saw a bit of a breakthrough. And certainly I noticed an even bigger change in narrative this time around when mm-hmm. I was uh, in Marrakesh. So instead of everyone playing the blame game and seeing who, who needs to provide more debt relief and when and by what modalities, it really was about trying to find shared solutions. And so, for example, finally, uh, you know, just before the meetings started, we saw Zambia had, had reached an, an understanding with its official creditors, which should pave the way for that restructuring to start with, with private creditors. Ghana also right. um, is, uh, is moving forward in, in its negotiations and, and actually has moved a lot faster than many people, including myself, had expected in this process. And I would say the other thing is it's not just the IMF and and World Bank. Clearly, they have realized that the capital markets are not going to reopen anytime soon for distressed creditors. And so they're trying to figure out how to augment their programs to provide budget support. And in the meantime, you have regional development banks and other bilateral donors that are trying to figure out how to provide blended financing or other project financing that would partner with the private sector to help find some of the solutions for some of the challenges that these countries face. And I want to delve into some of those solutions, uh, perhaps using a case study, you know, in your region, Zambia or Ghana. But beforehand, just to set the tone, EM distress now really in the sovereign markets, it's about 10% of the index. So it's it's significantly smaller, right? Yep. But that has created opportunities. That segment of the market could potentially produce some outsized returns, right? But if you understand the case-by-case domestic issues. Absolutely. And and so far this year, distressed has outperformed. It's, you know, but you need to pick your battles very carefully. So on that note, walk us through how you think about Ghana, for example. You mentioned how they've gone faster than you would have anticipated. Walk us through what that looks like. And then from an investment perspective, how you can take advantage of that. Right. So in Ghana, I think the one uh, thing that they've had going for them is they don't have as much exposure to China. And so that has held back a lot of negotiations in Zambia and, and other countries. Mm-hmm. And China, it's the first time that they've had to really renegotiate debt like this and try and do it in a multilateral format. So they've had a lot of questions. Chinese officials, you know, they, they tended to make deals on their own in the past. And so trying to come together with everyone at the same table has been a difficult process for the Chinese. So Ghana, fortunately, didn't have as much exposure to Chinese creditors. And so they haven't been a driving force in these negotiations. Also, Ghana has a presidential election coming up at the end of next year. 
everybody is incentivized to try and get Ghana to the finish line sooner than, than later. Ghana mm -hmm. because of the presidential election, the IMF World Bank, because they need a poster child for the common framework. All the others have been delayed is probably the best way I could, I could put it. And then from the private creditors, obviously, we want to start getting paid again because you know they've defaulted and they're not paying their coupons. So everybody is incentivized to get Ghana to the finish line. And how does that then compare to Zambia, which so, does have a relationship, a stronger relationship with China in terms right, of the lending? Right. So China is a much bigger part of the, the lending in Zambia. And, and so it's, it's taken a long time for the Zambians to get the Chinese on board with debt restructuring. It's been more like you know, two steps forward, one step back with the Zambians and, and their official creditors. They're finally at, at a point where they are able to move forward. In fact, the IMF managing director actually made a statement like, we're done. We, we've dotted all the I's and crossed the T's. And then within about 30 minutes, she had to walk that back because something came up that they hadn't figured out yet, which is you know, kind of embarrassing, but it does show that there are, there are bumps along the way, like you mentioned. And, and I think Zambia will, you know, will make it to the finish line. I want to ask you about one more country, and then I want to talk a little bit about your research analysis when you're on the ground in the region. But one, I think is timely in light of what we touched on earlier, is Egypt. Yes. Yes. Is it, is it too big to fail? Is it too large to bail? How do you think about Egypt, especially in the context of the conflict? Yeah, no, I, Egypt dominated a lot of the discussions throughout the week, partly because they've got huge external financing needs. And up until this past week or so, everyone had really grown tired of Egypt not pushing or you know their reform agenda a lot quicker. They have promised that they would do state-owned asset sales. They have promised they would allow the currency to find its own you know, market-determined rate. And then earlier this year, after a couple of devaluations, inflation has just spiraled out of control. It's put a lot of pressure on the local population. Right. And so so the president has kind of stalled. And so everyone's just kind of wait in wait and see mode. Does Egypt just muddle through and wait and see if somebody's going to come bail them out? Does things get worse or are people going to hold Egypt's toes to the fire and let them really go to the brink until they could potentially default? And so asset prices in, in Egypt, particularly on the euro bonds, have fluctuated a lot, mainly on headline risk about whether whether or not the asset sales are moving forward, whether or not they're going to devalue again, and when that might happen. President Sisi has called for an early election. My analysis of that is he knew he couldn't actually get these much-needed reforms done mm -hmm. uh, before the election was originally scheduled. So he called for an early election. It'll take place in mid-December. And then we're hoping that he'll be able to move forward on, on some of these more difficult reforms once the election is behind him. The events over the over the past couple of weeks with Israel and, and Palestine, you know, that has just been a painful reminder that Egypt plays a has has historically played a huge role in the geopolitics within the region, and since then we've seen the IMF and others suggest that their program is probably going to be augmented so they'll get more support from multilaterals. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there are others that are talking about stepping up relief as Egypt may have to deal with a, a big, you know, influx of refugees in the Sinai region. So it looks like it's it gone from 
the sentiment has gone from, well, you know, we're, we're going to make sure that Egypt does reforms this time to we're going to do whatever we can to help Egypt mm-hmm. because we need their help potentially to solve this crisis that's going on in the region. Right. No, that's really interesting how you are really pairing together what's going on on the ground as well as just geopolitical forces that have can have a larger impact. Yeah. How do you think about what are the most important factors when analyzing your region? I think one of the biggest challenges in, in covering these countries across the, the frontier is that information is difficult to come by. A lot of the governments are not transparent. And and so I, I think one of the most critical aspects is just getting on the ground regularly to meet with policymakers. That's why, you know, despite the fact that there had been an earthquake in Marrakesh a few months ago, and despite the fact that there the violence had erupted, I went ahead with my plans to go to Marrakesh to meet with policymakers. And, and what, I, what I found was interesting is I, I went to Marrakesh 10 years ago for the African Development Bank meetings. This was much better this time around. Mm-hmm. I mean, the infrastructure has improved. You know, you were able to get taxis to go from meeting to meeting, whereas before, if the infrastructure was, was you know, challenging to get from one place to another, the policymakers back then, it was, well, you can come meet us, but we're not going to come meet you. So if you want to meet, you have to you know, come to us. This time around, a lot of the policymakers, they were on time. Very few canceled their appointments. And despite the fact that they know the market is probably close to them, they wanted to get in front of investors to make sure that we heard their story. And so I think that's a, a big part of it is just making sure you're willing to get on the ground, meet with policymakers. And, and especially since I've been covering this so long, I'm able to see those changes over time. Right. Even thinking about, you know, your trip last year, your trip in April and your trip now and all the, the details that you're providing and the through line that you're seeing and the yeah. trends that you're seeing is, is really critical. Brett, anything else you want to mention in terms of your observations of the conference? Yeah, I guess I would just add that, it, it, you know, part of part of the purpose of this is to meet with the policymakers, right? The other is to touch base with other investors and take their temperature. And and I would say the one common theme is everybody is looking for and hoping for a turnaround story. We haven't had a good turnaround story in EM for a while. And looking at all these distressed credits, part of them could be that turnaround story. I mean, one, uh, you know, that everyone seems to be excited about is Turkey. For years and years, at least from an economic perspective, it was run into the ground by bad Mm -hmm. policy. The economic team was there in town. They were at several conferences, and they were really talking up the orthodox economic policies. Now, that's not Turkey isn't my area of expertise, but you know, in talking with other investors, that's one that they were excited about. Yeah, I would say one that I'm excited about is Nigeria. President Tinubu uh, came out of the gate strong when he was inaugurated, announced the removal of fuel subsidies, and also announced uh, the FX reform that you know many of us have been waiting for for years. But he, he has a reputation for kind of a ready, fire, aim strategy. So not really thinking those things through. But the economic team that he has assembled and have just been in their seats for the past few weeks, they are very thoughtful. They're, the market knows them well, and they're excited to actually kickstart the reforms. And we've seen that over the past couple of weeks as they've, they've taken some measures. Oman and Morocco look like they're going back to investment grade. Oman, some people may not remember, they used to be rated single A back in, in until 2015. You know, they went all the way down to single B. 
They've worked their way up, up to double B plus. They're one notch away from investment grade. Morocco is in, in that same boat. And, and so I think there, there's some really interesting potential turnaround stories that people want to put money into. So hopefully as soon as the dust settles with, with treasuries and things stabilize on the external front, the emerging markets can, uh, you know, we can put some of that money back to work in some of these turnaround stories. Thanks so much for sharing those examples. So let me recap a bit and feel free to fill in as well. But, you know, as you just pointed out, it seems like, and we're hearing this here as well, once we start to see some stabilization in rates, we think it's going to be interested in EM fixed income, especially given the valuations that you're seeing. I certainly am encouraged by what you said on the common framework. In, in our past conversations, yep. you've mentioned repeatedly some of the challenges. I also think it's pretty interesting how you distinguished between those countries that may have borrowed from the Chinese and those that have not and how that creates an investment opportunity. So really comparing, let's say, Ghana versus Zambia. And of course, I'm encouraged by the turnaround stories that you're mentioning, right? EM has had a tough go the last few years, both with the COVID pandemic and food and energy inflation shocks. And we are starting to see some of these countries emerge with better policy, better implementation of reforms, um, and even, you know, your anecdote about how Oman was a single A-rated credit not too long ago, yeah, yeah. went all the way down to single B and now looks to be recovering. And those are the opportunities that we're looking for, those inflection points. So, Brett, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Anisha. Thank you for joining us today on TCW Investment Insights. For more insights from TCW, please visit tcw.com insights. This material is for general information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. TCW, its officers, directors, employees, or clients may have positions in securities or investments mentioned in this publication, which positions may change at any time without notice. While the information and statistical data contained herein are based on sources believed to be reliable, we do not represent that it is accurate and should not be relied on as such, or be the basis for an investment decision. The information contained herein may include preliminary information and or, quote, forward-looking statements, end quote. Due to numerous factors, actual events may differ substantially from those presented. TCW assumes no duty to update any forward-looking statements or opinions in this document. Any opinions expressed herein are current only as of the time made and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.